Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From building a well-balanced college list and developing a payment strategy to creating a high school plan and more. Each episode will help guide your family through various steps of the process. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach. Um, I'm really excited about the show today for the second segment. I'll be joined by my colleague, Molly O'Connor, to discuss whether and why you might hire a college coach. And for the last segment, my finance colleague, Jennifer Wilcox, will be addressing the simplification of the FAFSA, or the Federal Financial Aid Form. Basically, is it really a simplification? Hopefully so. Um, but for this first segment, those of you who are watching on video will see uh, Rachel Robertson on the screen. Um, she's the Vice President of Learning and Development here at College Coach's parent company, Bright Horizons. So welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Sally. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And so you're really here to talk about pathways to careers in early childhood education, which I think is great. I mean, actually, I'll just tell you fun fact. My mom worked in early childhood education mm -hmm. until she went to law school when we were like, I don't know. I think I was 12 or something when she started or 11. So it was tough. And I can promise you that she always missed being in early childhood education. Not as many hugs in the law. I mean, just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. not That's as true. many hugs. So, <laughs> but anyway, let's, let's, um let's back up. So let's start with what kind of pathways people might choose. I mean, is there a particular kind of just to start with education that might be needed? Yeah, I mean, in the United States, of course, there's differences in every state, but there, the commonality that you find in a lot of states is an entry level is what we call a child development associate. And that is a portable credential throughout the country that's seen often is seen as the entry level. Sometimes it, it helps a person get to the teacher level. And it is a competency-based program. So you can take classes. You sometimes can take them at a, at a online professional education organization and a lot of community colleges or even some four-year universities have them. I always recommend if someone's going to take those classes somewhere that they really do look for a college course level that come with either credits or continuing education units. So that CDA credential is a pathway like we're talking about today mm -hmm. to AA or BA. So you can use that, those um, college courses or those, those credits for something else. So you go through that CDA program and because it's competency-based, there's an assessment and then there's an observation and a portfolio, which another reason it's so great, not only does it get you into the field, but it gives you a lot of practice and skill building in being a student, especially for people that have taken a break from being a student. So get a lot of support and coaching and mentoring about how to be a student successfully and then you get your credential and that's a great start to wherever you want to go in the field of early childhood mm -hmm. absolutely now what do you mean by a portfolio i mean let, let's dig mm -hmm. into that mm -hmm. So one of the nice things about the credential, the CDA, and, and I see a lot of people doing this, like if your mom did the opposite, started in law and then wanted to get into early childhood, I see a lot of people 
going to the CDA as a way to get the practical knowledge plus skills that they need for the everyday learning. And the CDA requires coursework, but it also requires work in the classroom and proof of that work that you're successfully applying what you learn in those courses. And you develop a portfolio of evidence that you've implemented what you're learning in the classes in the classroom. So maybe you're going to show a project you've done with the children or you write you you have to write competency statements and show that what I learned here, I understand, and here's how I'm applying it. So it's also, that's also good practice, right? Of showing the evidence of your work and presenting that as, as proof that you've not only just learned something that, but that you're able to translate that learning into the work you do. So I think probably the most common pathway is not law to early childhood, although I'm sure there are some people, but I can kind of imagine like a parent who has been out of the workforce for a while to parent their younger children and then you know ended up being like you know what i i can i can now work until three o'clock in the afternoon or whatever it might be so for them you'd really send them to a community college maybe if see if there's one locally that has this program that's a really good place to start you're not recommending to start yeah okay but but I would re- be remiss if I didn't say I would actually recommend that they come right into Bright Horizons because one of the things we do is offer the CDA at no cost to our mm. employees. So if someone will, it wants to start really entry level or and the state that they're in allows for that, at a, maybe a substitute or a associate teacher or resource teacher really part-time, you can get your foot in the door, start getting that practice because you have to be working to get those hours in CDA, take the courses, we offer CUs along with our courses, so they absolutely transfer into a college degree if that's something someone chooses. And we always encourage that, but don't require that. So whether it's at Bright Horizons, of course, I think our program is stellar and we have really good results. But if it's not at Bright Horizons, I yes, I absolutely something that has coursework credentials or, cre- or excuse me, credits or CUs attached to it. So it can be. It keeps the door open for a continued pathway. Mm-hmm. I want to put in a plug for this too. One of the things that I've run into when I advise students who transfer from the community college is those who need loans to pay their way through Mm -hmm. while they're trying to figure out what they want to do. Sometimes they exceed the number of loans they can take out and they end up in some finance. It becomes challenging. So if you start at Bright Horizons College Coach, um, they'll pay your way and you're not risking that happening. So that right. seems to me like a great deal. If, if early childhood education is one of your options, why not start there? Exactly. And I, you know, early childhood, a lot of people find their way into early childhood. I hear a lot of people say, I want to make a difference in the world or I want to work with mm-hmm. children. And those two things happen in early childhood. Mm-hmm. Many people are thinking, well, I'll do that through high school or I'll do that through social work. And not those are both good degree and career paths as well but the amount of brain development and influence you have in a person's life trajectory Mm -hmm. is huge in early childhood you want to make a difference in the world help children in the first five years when their brain architecture is is being built and when people come into the field and i put myself in here and this is exactly what happened to me is you say oh I want to make a difference in the world. I want to support children and families. This is the right place to do it. But if you're not sure about that and you want to test it out, it is great to have a job or role in the field and then find an organization. Of course, Bright Horizons, I'm talking about and representing Mm -hmm. Bright Horizons. 
course we do we do that and uniquely we do it in a way that is no cost to the student so a lot of times we have programs that are tuition reimbursement so so employee has to pay up front and then we pay them back for this for the early childhood field we wanted to really remove barriers to people feeling like they could enter this field and so we just pay for it and that Mm -hmm. includes the aa and ba as well Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I remember when yeah. our CEO made the announcement about it, and I just thought it was so great. You know, mm-hmm. just a life-changing uh, opportunity for people, so I think. Yeah. yeah, I was actually in the back. I knew he was going to say that, and I was in the back that I was going to speak after him. So I was just kind of multitasking, and I heard him say it, but I wasn't out there seeing the reaction. And I came out after there was a small break, and people were crying. They were calling their teachers. Mm-hmm. They were saying things like, you don't have to take out a loan. You can stay in this field. Tell your parents you can do this. Mm-hmm. It's such a so it allows people to pursue their passion without the stress of having loans or a financial obligation that just is so burdensome. So mm-hmm. It's such a such a wonderful career path, and it also allows people in that maybe don't feel that successful as a student or maybe are an English language learner and it gives them a lot of support. That's again why I recommend CDA to start because it's a really supportive program that helps you get successful and feel confident. So then when you go on to the next step, you mm-hmm. have all those skills and that confidence behind you with with the confidence that this is the field you want to be in. Yeah. And I'm just going to reiterate again, you guys pay not just for the CDA, but the AA and the BA, or so the associates yeah. and the bachelor's. So All the way I, to I, bachelor's degree. Yeah. And not reimbursement. I mean, that's people because people will say to me, oh, yeah, I've heard of programs like that. And I'm no, you have it. This is a one of a kind program because we don't you never pay a bill, not even for a book. We, right. pay, we just pay for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's very exciting. Yeah. So. So what, I mean, I I think we've kind of covered this, but is there specific experience? Like, let's kind of talk about a couple different scenarios. Like if a high school student, um, I don't know what the minimum age would be for a high school student. What kind of experience, would you recommend that they have any experience before they walk in your door? Or is that not really necessary? It depends. You know, it depends on the first step you want. Of course, if you're going to want to be a lead teacher or leading curriculum and making decisions in the classroom, you absolutely need some experience. You can get experience working with children, babysitting, working maybe in a place of worship or faith. You've done some child care or something. And coming with that passion and that experience is really important but also just being a creative, creative, flexible learner. And just because working in a group care setting in an early education and program is, is different than, than mm-hmm. watching two children at home. And in fact, that we really want to make sure that early childhood professionals are not thought of as babysitters because there is a sophistication to the work that they do mm-hmm. and a, a curriculum to implement and they, again, that brain development is so important. So having the passion, having a little experience, so you know, you know, you're going to be dealing with a lot of challenging behaviors, children are figuring out who they are, Mm -hmm. you get to be a part of it. But you also, you know, sometimes it can be challenging. It's it's a intensive, very high passion, very high impact and and asks a lot of you. And so you just want to be ready for that and be ready to learn. And that if you're, if you're coming in at entry level, that's often the right things that you need and then jump right into that CDA and it builds your knowledge as you keep going. 
um, so you can have a long-term career. Okay. And so they don't necessarily need, I mean, I imagine this could always be a good thing, but if their high school hasn't offered courses in early childhood education or even psychology, that's totally fine. Just try and pick up babysitting gigs, ideally to expose yourself. Yeah. Again, I mean, it's it's state by state what's required. So it's important to look at the state regulations. The more experience you have, the better, the more likely you can have a job because there's a limited amount of positions that would require no experience. But if someone, again, has all those competencies and capacities and the willingness to learn, that is what's most important. We have some states where there's a couple of credits or college classes that are required, and we also support achievement of that. We have internship programs that we highly encourage people Mm -hmm. to get involved with. And those internship programs include some on-the-job experience, but also ongoing professional development and training with our education and development department and exposure to all of our benefits and all of that, and just learning all about what it's like to be a professional in early care and education. That's a really good way to start an internship program. Mm-hmm. So they could really walk in at any point if they've already started college and they're a history major. I choose that because that was my major. They could then come in and, um, you know, maybe start taking the appropriate classes, that kind of thing. Yeah, there, we, there are opportunities for that in many of our states. Again, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it, it's hard to speak to every single state because they're all different in terms of what the um, what are the entry level requirements but very often there's there are some positions that allow for when supervised like an associate teacher or a sub or something like that to get your foot in the door or an internship program and those are great places to start if you're interested in going right into being a teacher that does require more credits more experience Mm -hmm. and you can get that through sometimes through coming in as a sub or associate teacher and then getting your degree while you're doing that. Or sometimes you could get that through a school program that has a lab school or practicum experiences. It's always really just the most important thing is to look at your state regulations. If you were asking me about Massachusetts, I'd have a different answer than I have about Illinois, than I do about California, than I do about any other state. So that's, Mm -hmm. that is pretty important in early childhood. So can they just do a search like early childhood education qualifications, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Massachusetts or entry Connecticut level, or yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Entry level requirements in the state you're in, um, the licensing regulations will have those posted as well. And that and the and the local colleges will know the local community colleges, or you can just call a Bright Horizons and ask right. them. They will be happy to tell you because right. they're If you have, again, the willingness to learn and the passion for children and you're building those competencies that allow you to be a professional educator, we'd so much like to help you join this field because it's a a lot of work. It's a a busy day and it is so rewarding. It is. I mean, your job is to help children be joyful and playful Mm -hmm. and so much laughter and fun and learning. You get to be silly. No one cares how well you sing. It's just, I mean, it is, <laughs> I've been in this field for over 30 years for a reason. I've just started realizing this is my life's work. I, I've never said that before until the last couple months. I'm like, this is it. This is, I put my heart and soul in it and I will continue to do that because it makes such a difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my next question. You answered it without my having to ask, which is what what are the benefits, you know, beyond just the hugs? So um, yeah. lots of benefits in terms of just 
Yeah, you are making so a difference more than anybody else. So, or, yeah, or at yeah. least as much as anyone else is. So, yeah, I mean, you're, 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 uh, lots of hugs, free artwork. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> judging what you look like every day. Yeah, and, you and can wear fact, jeans to work, right? Like, you, wear jeans, you can have a bad hair day. There's not <laughs> anyone who cares. You are well loved by lots of people. In fact, when I, I was a toddler teacher, I, I don't know most of those children that I was a toddler teacher with, but I do know a couple of them. And that's a real gift besides making me feel pretty old. It's a real gift to see them as adults and know that I had something to do with their early years, especially mm -hmm. now when I have my own education and child development and neural sciences has really advanced. I know what I was doing for those little toddlers that looked like play. That was a lot mm -hmm. of fun was so important for the rest mm -hmm. of their lives. And I think early educators singularly have that experience of all educators that they are at the start. They are at the very beginning of all of that being built and everything else relies mm -hmm. on that being strong. Yeah. In my job, I feel like people always think college is the most important thing. And my theory is that actually it's the reverse. Early childhood education is most important, then elementary school, then middle school, then high school, then college. Because by college, it's not that college isn't important, but everything that leads up to it is what primes you for success once you get to college. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I, yeah. I totally agree. You yeah. can think of it just like a house, right? The, we're building the foundation. You, The house is built, elementary, high school, college is the windows, is the decor, is the paint, is all that stuff, the new refrigerator. But if it doesn't, none of that matters if the foundation isn't strong. It's not that you can't go back if the early childhood experience isn't very good or there was any kind of trauma there. You can work towards healing that and repairing that, but it's so much harder than getting it right from the start. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. And one last, I heard this myth and it really bothered me. So I just want to address it. Are men welcome in early childhood education? Absolutely. Men are very important in early childhood education. We have some outdated myths and fears about mm -hmm. that, but we welcome men in our field. We, we absolutely need them. Just like we welcome women in corporate world, we welcome men in education. It is so important for children to see examples of what they look like, what their family looks like, men as caregivers and social emotional role models, just like women as strong and can do anything. It's important for children to be exposed to that as they're figuring out who they are in the world and who they can be. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for talking with me. Yeah. All right. So we'll be back in just a few minutes with uh, my colleague, Molly O'Connor. Um, but yeah, thanks so much. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. For 25 years, families have trusted Bright Horizons College Coach to guide them through the college admissions process. With nearly all of our students getting into one of their top choice schools, it's no wonder why. Our experience is unmatched. As former admissions officers at top colleges and universities, we've read the essays, reviewed the applications, and made the admissions decisions. We know firsthand what colleges are looking for. Ready to meet our team? Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more.
Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. In every college application, there's that moment of pause before a student hits send. Is this my best work? With Bright Horizons College Coach, your student will hit submit with confidence. We take the guesswork out of applying to college. Students get help with everything from essays, summer planning and visits, to testing strategy, merit aid, and more. As for our results, 100% of students have earned acceptances, nearly all to one of their top choice goals. Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome, Molly. Thanks so much for joining me here today. Hi, Sally. Thanks for uh, having me. So I'm really looking forward to this segment, partially because, I mean, just so everybody on the show knows, you are responsible for finding clients for me. You're not the only one, but you are one. You are a very important member of that team. So, so yeah, what are, um, I mean, not that you need to tell me everything that you tell the clients, but like, I'd love to hear your overview of, of why people, I mean, I have my own reasons from my point of view. Um, why I'm fair, why I feel like I am quite helpful with students, but really curious about your perspective. Like, what are some reasons why colleges might want to hire someone to help with the college process for their student? Yeah, well, yes. Yeah, so I'm the director of client services here at Bright Horizons College mm-hmm. Coach. So what that means is I'm speaking to thousands of families from around the country every year that are interested in hiring an independent college admissions expert to work with their student. Um, You know, and the reasons why people reach out in the first place really can vary. I think it tends to fall in a few different buckets. You know, maybe the primary being we're feeling overwhelmed, stressed. This process is changing rapidly. Um, You know, we don't know what to believe, what to do next. Um, That might be because they're getting very little support from their high school. Um, I know you and I recently chatted mm-hmm. about the ratio in mm-hmm. the like the uh, ratio in the United States of students to counselors in high schools, and that's around 250 students for every counselor. Mm-hmm. So that's not right. And there, those counselors, their main set of responsibilities is often not college admission support. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that, yeah, that in and of itself can be the pr- one of the primary reasons, just mm-hmm. really needing support. Um, Oftentimes, it's also my student is high achieving, has some high goals. We know that can be really, really challenging at that most selective level. So we need we know that my child needs to be strategic in making choices with their courses and extracurriculars. So really getting an expert's guidance and input on those decisions can be really key. Yeah, I want to actually go back, um, if that's okay, to the first point. Um, I was actually, as well as working in college admissions, I was a high school counselor and my caseload was 40 students. And my really my only duty was college counseling. I also ran AP exams, um, but that was that was it. That was my duty. And I was busy. 
I was a busy, busy person. I was working more than full time. And so I just want to kind of highlight like 250 counselors, I mean, or 250 students for a counselor. And some districts, it's 500. I remember when I worked at the University of Chicago from certain districts in California, we wouldn't get a letter of recommendation. We just get a like we just get a stamp where we ask for a letter saying like our caseload is too big. We don't write letters. And I just thought just heartbreaking for that student but also i don't blame the district there's not enough funding so i just want to put out my little editorial i know that's not like the but right. uh, i just want to highlight that i think that that's really tragic so um but yeah luckily we are there we are happy to give some expert college advice so what are what kinds of advice do people want like like obviously if it's a more selective college i mean if you're in california and you're applying to kind of one of the Cal States, you probably don't need us as much, but like if you're going for UC Berkeley, if you're going for Stanford, if you're out, if you're applying to University of Michigan or whatever it might be, you know, that that can make a difference. Right, well, right now what I'm hearing from seniors, families that are coming to us with a senior getting ready to apply, that might be, we're needing help with finalizing the college list. Mm -hmm. And we have some really great fit uh, reach schools Maybe our best, a few best fit, no problems, but we need help finding something in between. Um, and my students kind of, I was feeling really behind in the writing process, doesn't really mm -hmm. know where to start, needs an expert to help, you know, brainstorm ideas, what to, what to highlight in their personal statement and some editing guidance as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. For families of students that are starting earlier in the process with us, maybe ninth, 10th grade, then it is more focused on extracurricular support. You know, students are so busy. Parents are so busy. You know, what are the things that my child could or should be doing to really maximize their chances of admission, but also for them to really explore their, their interests and mm -hmm. focus their time? Yeah. I want to say, though, too, that I think curricular choices are important as well. I worked with a student who luckily signed up with me in his junior year. He wanted to be an engineer and he hadn't taken physics. And I said, you have to take physics next year. That is not an option. That is not like you have to take physics. And he's like, well, I don't know. I was and I'm like, do you want to be an engineer? If so, you must take physics. And if they hadn't talked to me, they wouldn't have known that. Yeah, so, so I always highlight that too. And I think families don't realize the importance of mm -hmm. that. Um, they're like, no, we, we have that set. You know, my, my high school says this is what I need to do. And I often say that might be great for most students in the high school, often for your state programs. But mm -hmm. if you're looking at privates or publics out of state, sometimes that our guidance might be actually again, you know, kind of against mm -hmm. what, what, what the school counselor is saying. So mm -hmm. it really does depend on what the student's goals mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm glad you highlighted that because it's yeah. always something I stress. Yeah. I'll highlight one other thing. I've run into a lot of top students in Texas who stopped taking language after their second year. And I'm like, look, if you want a Texas school, that's fine. But if you want Stanford, you've, you're going to hurt yourself. Right. You know, and sometimes they don't get to me in time for me to be able to tell them that. So these things can be important. And yeah, the counselors are doing the best job they can, but they're thinking about UT Austin. They're not thinking about some of these other schools. So, um, all right. What else? What else do people want help with? Well, one thing I hear fairly often and maybe even increasingly so is we want an expert to help us to reduce the stress 
in our family relationship, mm-hmm. you know, both for the student and for the family relationship. Um, you know, my child just won't listen to me, you know, so <laughs> having a third party to help with those aspects. And then, you know, we ask our families as they wrap up working with us, what aspects they found most valuable. And in addition to the essay support and the expert guidance, stress reduction is always in like the top three. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I will say too, that I think for the students who actually listen to me and do the work I assign them, which is an important caveat, their stress is always lower and they always acknowledge it. And they'll, I worked with one student who came from a fairly, like a a rural high school that wasn't very, the counseling office was not well-developed. It was all geared towards a pretty easy, like the community college really. And so she said that because of my help to her, she was the one helping her friends. And I had taken down her stress so much to the point where she was almost done. Her parents were not worried at all. And then she just was started helping her friends with things. And she said, you know, that was like, and I I was like moved by that actually, you know? Yeah. And I love hearing the feedback of like, I really feel so much more confident in what Mm -hmm. I'm putting forward, confident in in my choices. You know, Mm -hmm. there's nothing better than hearing that at, at the very end of the process. Um, you know, that it's really been, the student feels like their process has been true to who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's not always something that families are thinking about when they're mm-hmm. looking to hire someone, but always something they're so grateful for at the very end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When their kid ends up at the right place. Right. One of my favorite compliments too, is when they say, when they go to a college, sometimes they'll go to a college and they'll say, I hadn't even heard of this college until you told me about it. And it's the perfect place for me. And that is right. actually a really favorite compliment as well. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That yeah. list building, helping identify, and even in the early stages, providing that framework around for the student to think about what are my wants and needs? Mm-hmm. You know, what will make me happy? What will help me thrive? And because we've all worked on college campuses, you know, we can help students think about the aspects of the college search process that they should really hone in on maybe things they may not be thinking about. Um, so those are all really ba- valuable yeah. parts of working with a counselor. Yeah, I worked with one student who unfortunately only came to me in her senior year once her list was set and her parents were very clear that they didn't want me to work on her list. At the end of the process, she had been admitted to some very, very good schools. I want to be clear. I'm not going to say their name because I don't want to make it sound like I'm casting aspersions. But at the end of the process, she realized she would have preferred a smaller school. And it was too late. So we had to figure out, like, she had an option of an honors college. And I thought, well, this might be your best option. It was a very good honors college. I said, this will give you. But I just thought if they just come to me a few months earlier, right. I would have found a little less uh, on, yeah. always on name. But yeah, right. what are, where am I going to thrive? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was, I just, my heart broke for her because I couldn't fix that. I mean, I could just help her make the best of what her options were at that point. And again, wonderful options, but for a different student, actually. Right. Right. Yeah. And then I know, I think people probably ask about this a lot. I know that people, when they hear what I do, and I just, I want to address this particular myth because it sticks in my craw a little bit because I work very hard to be ethical. They say, well, you write their essays for them. And I'm like, no, I do not. (laughs) So how do you talk to people about that? And that is a big point where, where we often discuss at, at length, you know, what our process is for helping students write. Um, 
you know, first it is, let's help you brainstorm what aspects of who you are, what's important to you, your values, mm-hmm. um, you know, that the admissions officers may not see in the other aspects of your application, you know, knowing that often this is a holistic review process. So first brainstorming, really figuring out the topic. I think that is so key. Again, having a former admissions officer really be able to help a student think about what they're writing about. Um, and then, you know, being really careful through the editing process, not to change a student's voice or alter mm-hmm. that, but to help guide them to really craft their very best work. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't sound like a 40-year-old adult, right? It should sound like uh, a high school senior. Mm-hmm. Sound and feel like that, right? So mm-hmm. um, I know that as a former admissions officer myself, coming on as part of the Bright Horizons college coach team, our approach, the ethical approach and how we approach the writing process in particular, I was very in line with um, and really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. For me too. I would not have the longevity here that I've had if if we didn't focus on that. And I just want to say too, not only do I not write the essay for the student, but I've pushed back when sometimes parents have become a little heavy handed. Um, one of my favorite stories is a student who, she was a wonderful young woman. She got into a perfect college for her. It was great. And, but she ended up quoting, she, she wrote an essay. She wasn't the best writer. She loved math and science more, which was fine. Um, but she was writing something fairly serviceable. Then she comes back with a draft that is quoting Proust, who's like a fair, somewhat obscure Belgian author. I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but a lot of people are like, who the hell is that? Excuse <laughs> my language. And um, I said, this does not sound like you. And she looks at me and she goes, yeah, my dad wrote it. And I was like, okay, we're going to go back to the last draft because nobody's going to believe that you wrote this. Right. Red <laughs> like, flag as I'm a like, former admissions <laughs> officer. Yeah. Those stand Red out. Those flag. stand out. Exactly. Yes. The other thing too, that I see that was kind of especially egregious, but well-meaning parents will kind of clean up the language and it ends up sounding like a work memo. And I'm like, no, the informal voice is good. These are high school students. They're allowed to be high school students. Yes, it needs to be grammatical, but it doesn't need to be stiff. Let's keep their personality in it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And those are the most memorable essays, right? Where mm-hmm. you really can hear and get a sense of what the student's voice is. So I think that can be a big mistake to overly polish, overly edit out that authenticity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of the pieces of advice I give students and my hope is that I can empower them this way is to carefully choose who they're going to show the essay to yes. and really limit it. More is not actually better. And that's often surprising to students. And then I usually follow it up by telling them, look, I've probably read at this point 60,000. Like I'm not exaggerating. I think 60,000 yeah. college admission essays between my time and admissions and doing this. So I'm the one who's going to know how these things resonate more than your parent or even an English teacher and everybody at College Coach. I'm not saying this to brag about me, but these are who you recommend to uh, students who call you. So exactly. Right. I think Mm -hmm. that's great, great advice and great to give a student permission to Mm -hmm. create those boundaries, right, for their for their own writing process and for their mental health, really. Mm hmm. Yeah. Can I make one last plug? It'll be in, in in like sort of indirectly towards us. One of the things that concerns me when I talk to people about whether they want to hire me or, or not, or one of a, you know, one of my colleagues is I say, you know, there are other good people out there. I'm very proud of 
all my colleagues. I think we're great, but there certainly are other good people. But make sure you hire someone who actually worked in college admissions. Someone who just went to a highly selective college does not actually, they think they have insight into how the process works, but they don't. So definitely work someone who's been in college admissions. Right. And I think the other big thing is, do you get the choice of who you're working with? And is Mm -hmm. that going to be a good fit, right? You could have the most amazing teacher with the best resume, but if you don't really connect with their learning style, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be great, right? So same with a college counselor. Is it going to be a great fit? Have a nice synergy. The experience is number one, but number two, the fit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've had people who switched away from me. I'm to a colleague and had that same colleague lose someone to me because I just have a different style and that's all fine. So, um, all right. Any last words, anything else that you want to, um, highlight? I think if anyone has questions about what it would be like to work with us, they can visit our website, which is getintocollege.com. And I'd love to set up a call and we can learn more about your child and, and explore next steps. All right. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Molly. Thanks for having me. All right, so uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will be addressing FAFSA simplification. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. For 25 years, families have trusted Bright Horizons College Coach to guide them through the college admissions process. With nearly all of our students getting into one of their top choice schools, it's no wonder why. Our experience is unmatched. As former admissions officers at top colleges and universities, we've read the essays, reviewed the applications, and made the admissions decisions. We know firsthand what colleges are looking for. Ready to meet our team? Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. In every college application, there's that moment of pause before a student hits send. Is this my best work? With Bright Horizons College Coach, your student will hit submit with confidence. We take the guesswork out of applying to college. Students get help with everything from essays, summer planning and visits, to testing strategy, merit aid, and more. As for our results, 100% of students have earned acceptances, nearly all to one of their top choice goals. Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome to Jennifer Wilcox, my colleague from Bright Horizons College Coach. And we're going to be talking about FAFSA simplification. Is the FAFSA really going to be simpler for families? (laughs) Best of intentions do not always end up being uh, helpful, but 
But what do you think? Like, first of all, actually, let's back up because not everybody's going to know about this. So what is the FAFSA simplification and why is it happening? Oh, good question, Sally. Uh, first, I like to say I feel a little surreal uh, finally getting to be here and talk to you about FAFSA simplification on the finance side of things. We've been really digging into this, trying to understand the laws, what is happening with this, and it's been going on since uh, the end of 2020. So it feels a little surreal to now say it is happening and the form is kind of out there. So what is it? So in late 2020, the FAFSA Simplification Act passed and it has an overall goal of creating a more simple FAFSA form with a more streamlined process that is going to provide greater access to federal financial aid for students and families. Um, For anyone who has filled out the form in the past or heard those horror stories about this dreadful FAFSA, I hope today that hearing the word FAFSA and simple together um, sparks a little joy to our listeners out there and the families that are going to be going through this. Uh, I can say we have looked over the questions and the form used to be about 80 or so questions and it is now down to uh, about 36 so it definitely is simpler it is more streamlined so definitely they i think have um, definitely fulfilled what they were hopeful for in the simplification act some people ask well why the change a little fun fact or financial aid history for you and our listeners the FAFSA has undergone many small changes over the last several years. But when we look back to when FAFSA last went through a major overhaul, it was in 1994. So that was quite some time ago. So maybe it was definitely time um, for a change. Yeah, yeah. So the other big, this wasn't to the FAFSA, but to federal aid, they based it on two prior years instead of just the prior year. So that was a change people may have yes, heard about. Yes, that was right? in 2016. So that was kind of right. the last major change that people might have heard about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Right. But that wasn't to the form that they're filling out. So, right. yeah. Well, 36 questions sounds a lot better than 80. It's right. probably still pretty intimidating, but it's a lot better than it would have been otherwise. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Um, So how is that? I mean, I kind of already brought up timeline, but how is that going to impact the timeline of the FAFSA application this time around? Great. So for this time around, because they've just kind of began launching all of this um, and showing the prototype of the application about two months ago, um, the form for this year is going to be delayed. It's for this year only. So for those who are listening that don't have seniors or won't be filling the FAFSA form out this year, the time for this year, it normally would open October 1st. For this cycle, it will open what they're saying is sometime in December. So keep your ears and eyes open, keep your eyes on those college websites because we don't know yet when it's gonna open, but it will be sometime in December. So that's about two months um, behind normal cycle. It will Mm -hmm. still look at what you were alluding to before that, prior prior year income Mm -hmm. so for families filling it out for the 24 25 school year it's going to look at your 2022 income Mm -hmm. okay and so 
other than it being later, I mean, it sounds like the biggest impact might actually be on the financial aid offices who will have to crank out all those award letters in far less time. Is that accurate? Because definitely accurate. Yeah. Typically, um, typically families, I think, get their aid packages within about a week of finding out if they've been admitted. Is that or not necessarily? um, Every school's a little different to when they um, cycle after the FAFSA, but usually most students could expect to receive their award letters in March, April timeframe. Now, we have been engaging with our fellow friends in financial aid offices. They seem like they will still be able to hit that target. Mm -hmm. Um, some schools who utilize that CSS profile form, Mm -hmm. um, they're hopeful that they will, that, that form, um, about 300 or so private schools use that form and they, um, and uh, sorry, and a couple, I guess a handful of more prestigious publics, that form in itself is still going to open October 1st. So for schools who utilize that, a student who applied ED or early action, they might find that they still get their FAFSA in that early January um, Mm -hmm. or February timeframe. Their aid report, their information. So that's good, at least for those colleges. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay. All right. And also, um, I mean, one of the common terms, and I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to make this switch because I learned this 20 plus years ago, but EFC, expected family contribution, is no longer going to be used. It's going to be changing to SAI. So what does that stand for? What is that? Right. Good question. And it's going to be hard for all of us because we've yeah. been used to say <laughs> EFC forever. Um, so EFC is expected family contribution. SAI Mm -hmm. is student aid index. And what Mm -hmm. I like to tell families is when you're thinking about this, think of it like a rebranding. When we often would say, family, this is your expected family contribution. They would take that as, oh, great. This is all I have to pay for college. When that truly um, wasn't what the number was intended for. I think with moving to student aid index, what they're doing is um, giving families a better representation of what the FAFSA numbers are, truly an index of a family's ability possibly for need-based financial aid. So I think to me, this is probably one of my favorite changes just because Mm -hmm. harder it's going to be hard, like you said, to get away Mm -hmm. from saying what's your EFC, but from a family's perspective, I think that EFC is, was often um, really confused mm-hmm. and set a lot of families off to what they would be paying for college. Yeah, yeah. I could see how would, the language is a little more misleading, um, whereas this is, yeah, it's just there's an index. This is where you fall on it. Right, exactly. You know, so um, so what things should high school senior families this admissions cycle be on the lookout for? Can they still link their income from the IRS, which was one of the nice simplifications from before, to my understanding? So maybe address yes, some of that. Definitely. So a couple things um, families should really be on the lookout for this cycle. So with the delay, keep an eye on those college websites. I mentioned earlier that CSS profile. 
We have heard from some of our aid colleagues, maybe some schools who hadn't used that form in the past might be looking to add it um, to a form that school schools might be collecting this coming year because that might give them information based off families' finances to be able to get those packages out more timely. Another um, piece that sounds like schools, some schools might be looking at would be more of an institutional financial aid application where they would collect families' income and then be able to give families a preliminary aid package before they get the FAFSA. Mm-hmm. Um, what you're alluding to, the IRS, yes, IRS information can be linked to FAFSA. And more importantly, it instead of saying the word can, it has to be. So it used to be called the IRS data retrieval tool. With FAFSA simplification, um, they have now implemented something called the direct data exchange, or um, you might see it referred to as DDX. Um, It used to be optional. If you didn't want to import your information from the IRS directly to your FAFSA form, you could manually enter it. With the new direct data exchange, it is mandatory. So if you're doing a FAFSA, your information will be linked from IRS. And they're going to pull a lot of additional pieces of information from it. Before it was mainly kind of income information. Um, Now they'll include income, family size, and other things. So hopefully uh, alleviating uh, families being selected, as many families being selected for verification. Mm -hmm. Good. All right. And what, is there anything that families can do now to prepare for the launch so that they can kind of jump right on it? And this seems pretty important to me because I'm, I'm guessing for the colleges to get their work done, they're going to have to make these deadlines pretty tight. And I want to stress that I worked at a college where if you missed the deadline, you didn't get aid. Exactly. I mean, period, because they just ran out. So they were, you know, we did our best if you hit the deadline. And then if you didn't hit the deadline, and I'm not talking about University of Chicago, although maybe they put that in, but some colleges have lots of money. And so they might be more flexible. Mm -hmm. If you're applying to a college that doesn't have all that money, it, it can be pretty dire if you miss that deadline. So yeah, what can they do so that they can jump on it when the time comes? Great question. So when I've been counseling families the past few months, I've been giving them homework. Um, One big thing that they can do when we're talking about that direct data exchange, FAFSA to have a login, a family um, student and um, and or parents, and depending on divorced or how a family files their taxes, it could be one parent or both parents. So I would encourage them to read the documents and keep an eye on how many F it's called the FSAID. So I've been coaching people to go out and apply on studentaid.gov for this FSAID, Federal Student Aid ID. It's a secure login for FAFSA. Before, in subsequent years for FAFSA, that ID did not need to be verified in order to complete the form. You could fill out that morning. You could Continue with your FAFSA form. With this direct data exchange piece, the FSA ID has to be verified before a family can fill out the form. So if they could go ahead, complete your FSA ID, keep track of it, keep it ready for December, um, gathering any um, information on assets and things of that nature for December timeframe is going to be helpful, but definitely doing that FSA ID ahead of time is going to be good. 
keeping a very close eye on those colleges websites like you were saying deadlines are very important um, mm -hmm. and with this unknown of what forms are required and when is this going to open I would talk to families and be like, we used to recommend fill your FAFSA out between October 1st and November 1st. And now it's like, okay, that's pushed back to December. Well, sometimes I would talk to a family in December and they hadn't filed yet. So now I'm like, okay, you do not have that time. So mm -hmm. in December, when they hit the go, you really want to be ready to get your form completed and filling out that FSA ID now will really help with that. Yeah. And there are, I mean, so I want to highlight that you mentioned it's, What's the, it's the, um, what was the website you sent them to? Oh, studentaid.gov. Okay. I want to highlight that because when I've Googled things like that, you might get .com and then you're going to be geared, like pushed towards. Oh um, yes, this is all free. Don't pay. <laughs> do not pay. They're going to try and get you to pay for something you can do for free. So look right. for the .gov. I cannot stress that enough. I think that's a really important thing to highlight. Um, and when you go to that website, isn't there like a pre-form that you can fill out too, so that you can be especially ready? Or is that Oh, not yes, there's accurate? directions. I don't know yeah. if it's accurate today, but it should be soon. Right. At um, least it has been in the past where yes. if, you're, if you're a planner, if, if you've got a moment, like take a moment you know, do that now as well. Right, go ahead. They'll have like a checklist that you can go on and do right now today. I should say, I don't know this morning, but I checked last night. It did not look like it was updated yet. Okay. And this is the government we're talking about, remember? Right, right, exactly. Hopefully Everything soon-ish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they probably need approval at all these different levels right. and things like that. So, all right. Well, any final thoughts for our listeners? We, we have like a minute left. So I don't uh, know if there's anything that we didn't cover or that you'd want to highlight about applying for aid in general, even? I think the biggest thing is that we all really need to be patient. This FAFSA simplification, it's new for everyone um, mm -hmm. from the Department of Education to the schools who are working um, diligently right now, um, scrambling, trying to put together their plan for this upcoming academic year um, to you families filling out the form. So we all need to be really patient through this cycle. Uh, we will get through it um, and we're all learning together. So definitely be patient. Um, mm -hmm. And to, today, I know we've kind of scratched the surface of what FAFSA simplification is throughout future podcast topics here um, on our finance team. We're going to put together um, several different topics um, for you. So keep in tune with us so that way you can learn more about the different questions, um, how it might impact divorced families, what's the custodial um, parent, um, and really just please keep an eye on those college websites. This school year more than ever, things are changing. So I don't want anybody to miss any of those um, important deadlines or applications that might be sneaking in at the last minute. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jen. This has been oh, really thank helpful. You, Sally. It's fun to talk about this finally. It's actually yeah. becoming a reality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. I also want to thank Rachel Robertson and Molly O'Connor for joining me today. Um, do be sure to join us next week when we'll be discussing topics like the future of the small liberal arts college um, and the college search for students on the autism spectrum, as well as the perks of on-campus jobs. Finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download every show for free on iTunes. If you're curious about other topics, remember also to look through our, our, our archives 
You can find them along with our blog posts on blog.getintocollege.com. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation. New episodes drop every Thursday. The goal of this show is to demystify the college admissions process for families around the globe. To help with this mission, please leave a review and share with your friends. And to learn more about Bright Horizons College Coach, visit GetIntoCollege.com.